Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Cool Sports Network. I am your host, Chase Coburn, and today I am joined by a very special guest, a football and basketball announcer for CBS Sports and NBC Sports, Chris Lewis. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Appreciate you having me on. Well, yes, I'm so glad you were able to come on. Oh, you know, why don't we start off, uh, you know, when did you realize you wanted to be a broadcaster? And once you did, what did you really do to pursue that passion and make it a reality? Well, you know, it's a typical story that you hear from a lot of announcers, right? You want to be in the sports media when you realize that you can no longer play sports at the next level or the professional level or whatever the level that you in want there, to play yeah. at. So, um, you know, my story is not too different. I remember um, during the summers, both of my parents worked. And um, so they would always send me like a, to a basketball camp during the summer when I was, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. There was one week there was no basketball camps going on in the area, but there was a sports broadcasting camp run by, you know, Jeremy Treatment, Steve Goldstein and the whole crew there. And uh, my mom was like, hey, how about this camp? Would you like to do this? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Sounds fun. You know, sports fan. I like sports. I like talking about sports. I really loved the camp. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I like the fact that we have the people who you see on the TV and the people who you hear on the radio. They're now in front of us. And they're uh, talking and giving advice and making it seem like, hey, this is something that you could actually do. So, um, you know, from that moment on, I kind of had it in my mind that uh, that's the path that I wanted to go down. Yes, that's awesome. And I've been to those camps run by Jeremy, run by Steve. They're amazing and they do such a good job at really getting you so passionate about sports broadcasting. They just yeah. do such a great job there. Well, I remember when I talked to you the first time, when I spoke to you the first time, your first big gig was as the table tennis announcer uh, for the Summer Olympics back in the 2020 Olympics, but in 2021. Explain to me how enjoyable that experience was. Like you announced an Olympic sport. Kind of explain to me what that was like. No, it's kind of wild, right? <laughs> Even to think about it now, a couple of years later, um, how cool of an opportunity it was. But it was really awesome. Big thanks to everybody at NBC for uh, giving me the chance to be able to do that. And it was awesome. Now, you know, it was the COVID Olympics. So um, there wasn't any uh, fans in the stands. So that was interesting about it. Remember the right. uh, you know Tokyo Olympics had no fans. And, um, you know, I wasn't actually in Tokyo. I was in Stanford, Connecticut, which is where NBC does most of their production, their remote broadcast from, is out of Stanford, Connecticut. They have a fantastic facility there. And the cool thing is there's announcers from all the different sports in one place. Right. So um, while Trails. it was – covid year so there wasn't as much socializing and interaction between um all the different people that i imagine there is in a typical year um that part is really cool that's a fun part of the experience we mentioned uh, sports broadcasting camp in a way that's like a grown-up sports broadcasting camp right. where you have all these announcers in one place doing what they like to do calling games yes i'm, I'm sure that was awesome but when you kind of dive into the specific sport like table tennis is not a sport that when you turn on ESPN and your TV, it's not a sport that's usually going to be on. So how were you able to learn the rules, the players, and kind of learn how to announce a sport so quickly that really isn't usually on t on television? No, that's a great question. And I think um, the number one people, person, people that I would credit is the, uh, again, the folks at NBC. I mean, they, they are a machine when it comes to this because they you know every olympic cycle um so many sports so many different rules so many different athletes 
and their research team is phenomenal. Their research team, years and years they spend to build profiles and to build bios of who the contenders are, who are some of the other athletes, what are some of the major stories. They send you, of course, the rules. They sent me some of the uh, table tennis from the previous Olympics for me to study right. and uh, to learn and watch from, from that. So their team does such a great job to put you in a position to feel comfortable that, um, you know, you just got to credit them. Of course, it's different. Every sport's different. And as an announcer, like the the mechanics of storytelling stay the same, right? Like who's important? Right. Why does this matter? Um, what's at stake? Uh, what happens if this person wins? What happens if this person loses? Right. Um, that all uh, remains the same where they came from. And especially with the Olympics, because usually the audience for the Olympics aren't diehards in the given sport, but they're just looking for a good story to follow. And again, the people sure, at NBC yeah. do a good job of uh, helping research those stories and it's up to us to do the best job we can at telling them. Yes, and NBC Sports is obviously such a big sports brand, and they do so much, you know, to help uh, announcers like you out. But they're not the only company you've worked with. You've worked with companies like CBS Sports. You work with them now. You've worked with ESPN. You know, obviously, all of those comp companies, they, I'm sure they operate pretty similar in their way to continue to grow. But what would you say is the main difference in the way that they operate? Operate Like, is the setup different, your schedule? Like, what would you say is the main difference between how you operate at those, at those companies? No, I mean, every, everyone's great. And there's a reason why, like, these are legacy companies, right? CVS Sports right. Uh, goes back to the days, you know, NFL Today, Legacy Show, Brent Musburger, right? NBC Sports, uh, you know, the Olympics are as long as they've had it when they had the NBA back in the day, right? They've uh, had so many uh, high profile events over the years. Uh, ESPN, of course, is they call it the mothership for a reason, the tonnage, <laughs> the amount of games they have. So they're all they're all great companies and successful companies and have smart people leading the way um, to put the, their people in the best position to succeed. Um, you know, I do different things for each. Right. Like for CBS right now, I have, you know, more college basketball coming up. I had a full college football slate. Um, you know, NBC, I called the Bayou Classic this past year, the uh, college football game between Grambling and Southern. Um, and you know, down the line, maybe we'll call some college basketball. We'll see some, uh, you know, a limited slate there. And then with ESPN, I do the Sports Center all night radio show sometimes. Um, and that's different than doing play by play, right? So for me, I tend to do different things with each company, which is great. So I get to, you know, sort of learn and uh, get better along the way, right? I'm still in the learning phase and trying to improve and get better. And uh, just a big credit to all those companies for trusting me and believing in me and giving me some opportunities uh, to learn and grow. In your in your career, you've announced both professional and collegiate sports. What would you say is the main difference between the two in the style of play, the style of commentary, and just the atmosphere in the audience when you're announcing both? Uh, in a way, I like I'm still learning that. Right. Uh, this right. season was my first year of uh, getting the opportunity to do NFL games, which is great. And I've enjoyed every minute of it. But an NFL game is different. The structure of the broadcast that CBS has from a college game to an, an NFL game. It's different. It's a different format. It's a different timing. So you got to get used to that. And I'm still getting used to it because, you know, with every rep, with every opportunity is a chance to grow and improve. 
um, you know, from a, a college game, just from the outside looking in, like a college game, maybe there isn't as many people who are familiar with the best players or the role players or the right. quarterback or the running back, right? But in an NFL game, you would think a larger part of the audience does know like who the quarterback is and who the running back is and uh, who the star players are. So um, maybe your objective isn't to explain to the audience like who this quarterback is, but maybe um, tell the story about, you know, what this quarterback is trying to work on this specific game. Right. So um, maybe it gets a little bit different in that way, but I still go back to the fact that storytelling is storytelling and uh, your goal is to make the game interesting and entertaining and informative uh, for whoever decides to watch your game, whether it's college or pro or high school or um, summer league or whatever, whatever it happens yeah. to be. Yes, and th that is very interesting. But dive more into that setup. I know you mentioned how the broadcasting setup that CBS has is different between pro and college. Like, break down. Let's do NFL broadcast. Like, what is that setup? for an NFL broadcast, I kind of dive into kind of what's going on as you're announcing the game. Uh, well, I think it all starts in the, the lead up to the game, I think is where the differences start because as you know, like the NFL and you're a Ravens fan, like you could go right now in how many different websites could you find information about the Ravens on, right? Right. You, you probably have your, your, your top four that you visit every day. And oh, yeah. that might not even include like ESPN.com or CBS.com or, uh, whatever website there is that also has a bunch of stats and features and information. So I think with the NFL, a, a big part of it is sifting through so much and learning what you want to use and what you don't want to use, what you think will be relevant, uh, right. what you commit to memory, what you commit to being able to look at at a moment's notice when you need to find it. Uh, while a college game between, let's say, two schools that aren't in power conferences that aren't covered as much, there isn't as much information available. So uh, the objective is to find what you can and use what you can and to make what you find uh, as interesting and informative as possible. So it all starts again in the preparation early in the week, what you have and what you don't have. Of course, an NFL crew, as you can imagine, with uh, with CVS is huge. There's a lot, a lot of people involved in the production of it. And not every college game that you do has as many people involved uh, with it. So, like, that's a subtle difference as well. Um, but, you know, from from the play-by-play -play announcer's perspective, like, not a lot of that necessarily matters once the ball kicks off or once the uh, initial jump ball happens. Like, your role is to facilitate the broadcast, be a traffic cop, um, involve the analysts, get the best out of them as you can, and, um, you know, keep it moving. Wow, that's interesting because I actually thought you were like, um, you know, gonna have to deal with a lot of like technical stuff and have to do with that. But it's it's good no, to know that like you know have, when you're there, they have a, people who uh, are experts in that category who handle right. yeah, yeah. a lot of the technical aspects of television. Right. Let, thankfully, they don't let me do that because I don't know <laughs> if we'd even get on the air if it was my job to uh, put the cables in the right positions and to line the cameras up for the. No, they don't put the microphones in the right yeah. They don't need me to do that. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They let you announce the game. hundred <laughs> percent. We're on the same page. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you mentioned the preparation. Like, what does your typical day look like when you're not announcing? Because obviously your days when you're announcing, you know, your entire day, you got to prepare, you got to rest your voice, whatever. But what does it look like when you're not announcing? 
Yeah, um, it depends what season we're in. Uh, first and foremost, like a typical football week um, is the route. You get into the routine, right? Let's say you have a Saturday game. Um, so we'll say we'll t- start it from Sunday. You know, you arrive back from the previous week. Uh, try to unwind a little bit, watch some NFL, at least I like to do, put on red zone, and maybe start to build your initial boards for the teams that are coming up next. So, uh, you know, the, find the depth chart, find the roster, uh, you know, start to do your initial your initial layout of, um, you know, the, the important players and everybody who could get into the game. Uh, then the next day is Monday where you really try to hammer home. All right, let's try to put the stats in, the bios in. Uh, start to read the, the game notes if they're out at this point. Maybe uh, read a few articles about the previous games that these teams have played so you can start to build those nuggets. Um, you know, Tuesday is really in-depth in finishing the boards. Maybe one team you want to definitely get as done as you can. Um, also keeping in mind that some meetings might be starting to get scheduled throughout the week, whether it's in Zoom or maybe later in the week in person. Wednesday is definitely finishing up the second team. So by Wednesday, you want to have, at least for me, uh, both teams really locked in of, uh, you know, the boards, who's important, what's at stake, uh, all the stories that you can try to lock in. You, you want to have those on the board, but also keeping in mind being flexible because there's still a few days until game time. Uh, during the college football season, Thursday is usually a travel day. Um, so I live in Boise, Idaho, where, uh, it's not always quick to to get to one place to the next. Like if I have a game, I've had a few games like this past year at Army, uh, UConn, and that's a that's at least a couple of flights across the country. Right. So that'll <laughs> take up a lot of time uh, those travel days. So uh, Thursday is a travel day, and then Friday is uh, meetings with uh, usually the home team. Uh, if we haven't met with the visitors on Zoom, then we'll also meet with the visitors on uh, Friday as well. Uh, so we'll talk to the coaches, the coordinators, and maybe a player or two. And then uh, Saturday, it's game time. And uh, as you mentioned, you got to just make sure you're in the right mind space on game time to have the best broadcast you can. Absolutely. And I think that's that's very interesting to kind of see how you prepare and how you get ready, you know, to commentate a college football game. Mm-hmm. Oh, but you also announced college basketball. And I know we're not too far into the season, but from the games that you've announced and the games that you've seen thus far, who's really the team to you that you think has stood out as the favorite to win the whole thing? Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm ready to prepare to think about that at this point, right? Uh, we're right. we're kind of early. We've got a lot to go. I know UConn, the defending champs, uh, they look good again. They're a top I'm a UConn team. fan, so I love that. Yeah, there yeah. you go. I know UConn's looking strong. I know the Big 12 has a lot of teams that are uh, – squads that they feel like can can win a championship if the season goes their way uh this year the uh you know i live in the mountain time zone so i see a lot of west coast basketball um i've seen gonzaga play uh and they've had a good start to the year although they just lost to washington uh in a surprising game over the weekend so uh bark fuse team though is always in contention they have the i think the longest streak of consecutive sweet 16s uh, going on right now in the country. And I'm sure there's plenty of other teams. Purdue, um, I know they lost, I think it was to Northwestern this year, but whenever you have the player of the year, Zach Eagerty, uh, I know they had some uh, tournament heartbreak over the uh, last couple of seasons, but right. I don't think they're a team that you could ignore as well. So um, whoever your team is, uh, we're early enough where you could still have hope, still have expectations, and uh, we'll see how it goes once March arrives, although we have plenty yep. of time before that. 
oh yeah, so much can change between injuries, between and just teams finding their identity so much, you know, could change by then. I mean, and this is not trying to put them down. They've had a great start to the season, but like you would not expect in March to still have James Madison as the top twenty team in the country. So like there's just a lot of things early on in the year. They they could play their football team had a great year as well. So yep. the James Madison, uh, you know, you don't, you don't want to face them in any sport. It seems right now. And they're, uh, right. they're rolling like, you know, Colorado state's another one of those, you know, mid-major mountain right. West. I've had them a couple of times, although the mountain West would hate that. I just said a mid-major they're, they're not a mid-major like, like they're they're They've had like four teams in the NCAA tournament the last couple of years. So let's, let's uh, take that back. But, you know, Colorado yeah. State uh, had two of their games. They got up to number 13 before losing to St. Mary's. Um, you know, the Mountain West also is the defending runner-ups in San Diego State. Uh, Boise State, they uh, seem to have a good team under Leon Rice year in and year out. Uh, Nevada's had an interesting and a good start to the year. They're well coached. Uh, you have um, Richard Patino coaching New Mexico. And Jalen House has been injured. Same with Mashburn. They have a guy named Donovan Dent who's had a really good start to the year. So, um, you know, the Mountain West is coming. Oh, yeah, 100% it is. Let's transition, though, back to college football. Obviously, this past these past two weeks in sports have really just been hijacked by this whole debate about who should have made the college football playoff. Should it have been Alabama, you know, like, like everyone said, or should it have been Florida State? But next year, we're not going to have that problem because both of them would have made it had we had the 12-team playoff, which starts – on next season, it's been something fans have been waiting for for a while. How do you see the 12 team playoff and also next year with a ton of new teams going to new conferences? How do you really see next next season, the next season of college football really affecting, you know, the teams, how the season goes and especially bowl games like will bowl mm-hmm. games be less important? How do you see all that making college football next year? Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, first of all, let me go on the record and say I would have liked to see Florida State in the playoff, but that's, right. I, I feel like it's because the people who are, you know, in the in the weeds of covering the sport, they would like to see the games matter more than the potential of teams and or the injuries of the team, right? Like if we're going to be investing our time into watching the games and documenting the results that we would like to see those results take importance over theories, right? Right. Like that's, that's why I think there's a lot of people who are disappointed who are within the game um, upset that Florida state being undefeated um, got knocked out because their quarterback got injured. Although they still won games when their quarterback was injured. Right. (laughs) Living in a world where losing a player is more important than losing a game is not a world that a play-by-play announcer necessarily, I would think, wants to live in because uh, we just are, are so invested in the games and the results. At least I'll speak for myself. Maybe I shouldn't speak for all play-by-play announcers, but I'll just speak for myself in that way. Now, as for the uh, the climate of college football, I, your guess is as good as mine. It's going to be strange, right? Yeah. Uh, Washington versus Rutgers in a Big Ten game, right? <laughs> Conference opponents across the country. That's yeah. going to be strange, uh, but it, in the same way, it'll be awesome when it's Oklahoma versus Alabama for a conference game. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be fun, too. I'm interested to see how invested teams get late in seasons when I, I don't think that like teams will have hope is late because the conferences are so big. 
right? Like a team like Indiana, for example, could be like out of it before they even can step onto the field because (laughs) of just how many teams are in their league. And then there's the other aspect of like so many teams within a league what are tiebreakers going to be like? You might have like right. five one loss teams in league and there's only two spots at the conference right. championship game. So it, the, the stacking of it could be odd. 12 teams in the playoffs, I think is going to be interesting. I, I think eight might've been the natural number to go to, but they said, Hey, let's just go straight to 12 and we'll see how that goes. I think it might be better than four. Now, is it enough to keep the regular season as dramatic as possible while also having enough teams in the playoffs to make that a fun event? Uh, I think they maybe have found the right balance there. Again, time will tell. But um, I also hope that we don't lose that of college sports is regional. And the regional flavor of it is what makes the game different and great. Like the, like I mentioned the Bayou classic, like that doesn't, that game doesn't affect who wins the FCS championship. Nevertheless, the FBS championship, but given the history tradition of those programs and what those teams mean to Louisiana and the people involved who went to those schools, what it means for them to win the Bayou classic, like that's what matters uh, within college sports. So to frame everything into the playoff context I don't think is what this sport was designed to be. Right. Yeah. I mean, I could get that college is much more, you know, like it's much more heartfelt, you know, there's a lot, lot more history involved. So I could hundred percent understand that. What I'm really going to like about the 12 team playoff is like, I'm not saying the James Madison, especially with their one loss was a top 12 team in the country this year, but say there is a James Madison or a, a school that's usually not known for college football that isn't in a major conference that has a great year, all of a sudden we could see them, you know, possibly getting in the college football playoff. And I think that would be something interesting and kind of grow the audience, you know, towards the final moments. So it will be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. I live in Boise, Idaho. And, you know, imagine if there was a 12 team playoff in the era of Kellen Moore and Doug Martin and George Iloka, like those teams has some dudes on it. Like it was in Boise, Idaho, Boise State. And at that time, like not many people wanted to put respect on their name. But, you know, it, it proved not just like Helen Moore was 50 and four, whatever his record was in his four years, but also the other players who were on the team too. So if they had an opportunity to be in a playoff, you know, could they have won a championship, right? I, again, we'll never know. But um, right. having that opportunity, I'm sure they would have loved it. Uh, absolutely. All right, real quick before we do wrap up the show, and I ask and I ask this question to every single announcer that I do interview. If you had to give one piece of advice on being a sports broadcaster or announcer like yourself, what would it be and why? A couple things. Number one is to always keep it fun whenever you can, right? Like this is fun, it's sports, and you can right. tell when the person who's calling a game is having a good time and Um, you know, that kind of enthusiasm comes across the screen. So I always say to have is uh, have fun. And if you can keep it fun through the hard times, there will be a reward for it at the end. And number two, like everybody has their own path. And that sometimes it's hard to realize at the time when you're in it. Um, But like, there's always questions and dilemmas that come up. Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? Should I go to this market? Should I freelance? Should I work for this team? And 
just realize that there are so many different ways to make it to whatever spot that a person's at, right? You can look at every announcer on the CBS roster, the ESPN roster, the NBC roster, the sports talk radio host throughout the country, and how they got to their place is different than how somebody else got to their spot, right? right. So um, there is no right way. There is no wrong way. I guess the only wrong way would be to try to take shortcuts and to uh, not be nice and kind, right? Like the right. most important thing is it's a people business. And uh, if you're somebody who people like working with, that's your best weapon. So um, right. try to be nice, be kind. Remember that um, is really the advice that I have and try to work on every day. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show today for that piece of advice. All of it, we really, really do appreciate it. Real quick before we wrap up, explain to the audience what's next for Chris Lewis. How can they find you? Where are they going to find you? What's next? Usually I can post my schedule at Chris Lewis tweet on Twitter or X, however we're describing it these days. But uh, I don't not necessarily not necessarily sure when this post, but my next uh, big assignment with um, the NFL is week 17. Um, so hopefully uh, we'll know eventually what game that'll be. <laughs> don't right. know yet, but um, that's that's the next one on the line. So New Year's Eve. Week 17 NFL, I'll be waiting. Yes, we will be waiting, too, to listen to you, Chris. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, breaking everything down. We really do appreciate it. Thanks so much. Enjoyed it. Yep, thank you so much. All right, we will wrap it up here alongside Chris Lewis. Uh, I am Chase Coburn. We will see everybody next time here on the Cool Sports Network.